0: happy new year everyone this is krista with episode number 38 on the wag out loud podcast are you and your dog ready to tackle 2020 here's today's canine fun fact did you know that by the end of this year 2020 the u.s pet industry is expected to reach 96 billion dollars in sales and that's according to packaged facts a leading market research firm Welcome to the Wag Out Loud podcast, where we are obsessed with bringing you helpful tips on canine health care, nutrition, and overall well-being. If you'd like to support the show, check out the products and resources that I personally recommend on the Wag Out Loud website. I'm your host, Krista Karpovich, and I'm super excited to be bringing you yet another tail wagging episode. Hello, everyone. If you love dogs, then you've come to the right place. I am so excited about today's guest. With us is Chelsea Kent, who co-founded Heroes Pets in Littleton, Colorado in 2007. She is a regulatory specialist. She attends all the AFCO meetings. And just a reminder, AFCO is the American Association of Feed Control Officials. And she consults for multiple nonprofits, manufacturers, retailers, and consumers. Chelsea also authors educational articles on a variety of veterinary and social platforms. Chelsea, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: Today, we are going to be talking about an awesome topic that we can all gain knowledge from it's the ins and outs of the dog food landscape which to the average consumer is overwhelming, mind-blowing. There's just so much going on. So, Chelsea, why don't we let's first discuss the various types of foods and how to actually factor the cost of each type.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's, at this point, quite a variety of different foods that are available on the market. So you have the traditional kibble products, which are the dry cereal pellets, There's canned foods, and canned foods come in like chunky versions or pate versions and kind of everything in between. There's dehydrated, freeze-dried, and air-dried, which are all pretty much the same category. They're just different methods of drying, which results in a slightly different consistency uh, and caloric density of products. And then there are raw foods, and I would say that the types of raw foods that are out there vary just about as much as the kibble products in that you can have a sterilized raw food. You can have a fully raw food. Homemade diets are considered raw foods, even if they're not really complete or formulated properly and all those different things. So, of course, each one of those have different processing, different sourcing, and the cost of them varies kind of based on what it is that you're getting. So a couple of things that I have noticed that consumers tend to not take into account enough is that the sticker price isn't really the best way to identify how much you're spending on a product. So the first thing that I like to take into consideration is figuring out how many cups there are in a package. So as an example, if you have a 25-pound bag of kibble, that product could contain anywhere between 70 and 121 cups of food so if you if you have already purchased the food then you can go ahead and just weigh it and figure that out from there outside of that there is actually a method to calculate that which I won't go into right now but you can feel free to reach out to me and maybe we can get that posted somewhere how to do the math great but obviously if you're Purchasing a product that's 25 pounds that has 70 cups, it's going to cost you more money to use that product than the one that has 121 cups because you're going to go through it faster, even if you are feeding the same amount. Another consideration is how much are you actually feeding. Every product has a different caloric density. So, um, take for example, if you have two raw products and one of them is an 8-ounce patty of rabbit, and one is an 8-ounce patty of pork. The 8 ounces of rabbit is probably going to be around 250 calories, and 8 ounces of pork can be as high as 580. So you would have to feed double the amount of the rabbit as you would of the pork. So obviously that's going to cost you significantly more. So taking a look at how much you're supposed to be feeding My preference is to go by the number of calories that you should be doing and don't actually use what they say on the package. Pretty much everybody is selling you food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're going to recommend about 20% more than what typically dogs and cats actually need. There's a lot more to say about that, but that's probably for another conversation. (laughs) Oh yeah,
0: K-cows, we can talk forever. Yeah, <laughs> And, yeah, it depends on the dog's lifestyle, their age, their breed, uh, are their they lactating, level. are they senior, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Are they spayed, or are they neutered?
0: Right. Yeah. So, in your opinion, is it true that in a lot of cases that you actually need to feed less if it's a higher quality food, Because it does have a dense amount of nutrients versus the amount that you need to feed of a highly processed food.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to factor in there as well. And um, just take AFCO's nutrient requirements as a base for uh, that understanding. And they actually require that uh, more nutrients are added in synthetic foods because they don't have good absorption So if your pet is pooping out the majority of what you're feeding them, then you're obviously going to have to feed more in order to get them up to the caloric requirement and micronutrient requirements that they have. Uh, If you have a really high carbohydrate diet, those tend to be really low calorie. If you have a fresh food diet, those are much higher calorie. Also, if the diet is fermented, fermentation actually increases the absorption So basically it takes fewer calories to metabolize the food, in which case you don't have to feed as much. So you can also kind of modify the food yourself when you get at home if you want to ferment it yourself.
0: Right. Okay. So that's all really good information. Why don't we talk now about the convenience factor in the different types of food? Okay. I think that
1: the public perception from what I see when... I first meet somebody is that they believe that to feed fresh, that means that it's going to cost a lot more money than it really does. And it's going to be super inconvenient and really gross. (laughs) They're going to have to do cutting and mixing and blending and just a ton of different preparation. And while obviously that is absolutely an option for people that like to be that interactive, the market has expanded so much That pretty much any uh, budget and any need for uh, whether, say, you travel a lot or you go hiking a lot or you live in an apartment and you have a really tiny freezer and you don't have freezer space, say that you have a really tiny dog and a really big dog and it's kind of a pain to use the same size product for both of them. All of those things can actually be accommodated if you know where to look. So, well, and I'll add also, you don't have to just pick one product either. So that's another misnomer. People tend to believe that they're just supposed to stick with one thing and never rotate their pet or get sick. But you have to remember, if you owned a big company, like, say, Science Diet, as an example, you wouldn't really want the people that are buying your products to switch to your competitor's products. So it's a great marketing tool. But just like me, if I said... You know, the only thing that I can ever eat is macaroni and cheese. And if I eat anything else, I get sick. You would view that as a symptom of disease. Something's wrong with me. I should see a doctor. But we expect that that's acceptable for animals. And really, it's not. So just because you pick one type of product, say that it's convenient for you to feed a raw diet that comes in big five-pound rolls most of the time, but you decide you're going to go on a road trip and take your dog you can easily switch over to, say, a freeze-dried product that uh, comes in like a pellet-type shape where you just scoop it and serve it, and it's super convenient. So there's lots of options for everybody and everybody's needs out there these days.
0: And not only rotating the food, the type, the manufacturer, but, of course, the protein as well because different proteins have different amino acids, and I guess that goes true for every food, right, that, you want to switch it out so that they are getting more of the nutrients that one single food can't have every single thing in it.
1: Yeah, and I think that we don't necessarily know enough about everything to say what the absolute pros and cons are of every ingredient. Like there could be some great nutritional benefits to turkey as an example. But on the other side, turkey's high in tryptophan, which may over time caused some inflammatory issues in the intestines if there wasn't rotate rotation Um, another consideration too when you're switching from brands say for example you bought a lamb product that was sourced from iowa and then there was a different lamb product that was sourced from new zealand the environment and diet and nutrients in the soils and everything can be different from one to another. Also, you know, one might be lamb that was fed genetically modified, high glyphosate, you know, corn for most of its diet. Like if you were to do a micronutrient analysis on the lamb products, even though they're both labeled the same way, you could come back with a lot of variances. So that's another reason that there's probably benefit to rotation. Not only are you improving the health by covering any bases where there might be a deficiency, but you're also hopefully preventing toxicities to exposures that you might not actually even know that you have in the food.
0: That's a good point. And do you want to say anything about homemade diets and that if you are not strictly following one that is complete, what you think you're doing a great thing for your dog by preparing its meals, but you might not be.
1: Yeah. So I have done so much research and um, even tried doing analyses of different options for people because I I always want everybody to be able to do the best thing that they can and also make it affordable. And what I have found is that realistically, if you are not just making pretty much your entire life about your pet food, then it's really, really difficult to get it completely right. So If you're doing grocery store meat, as an example, that's actually under USDA jurisdiction, which means that it's allowed to have a pretty high pathogen load because when you get it home, you are supposed to cook it and the cooking will get rid of the pathogens. When you buy a commercially available raw product that's labeled for pets, it's FDA jurisdiction, which means that there's a zero tolerance policy for pathogens so they can get recalled for having bacteria that can't cause illness in a level that can't cause illness. So one, you have to make sure if you're doing a homemade diet that you're getting really clean sourced meat, which generally excludes the grocery store, even if it's a really high quality product like Whole Foods that doesn't actually change uh, what the regulations are. You have to have a really good recipe that has been validated either by analysis or laboratory testing to cover all of the micronutrients. Yeah, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong. So if you are doing it at home, it's going to take more time and it's going to cost more. But if you're still committed to it then I just recommend that you be really careful to make sure that you're under the guidance of somebody that has really done the work to make sure that you're getting it right.
0: But do you feel that there are enough superior brands and manufacturers out there with commercial products that you don't have to feel like you have to make homemade food for your dog?
1: Uh, I think that that can't be an absolute yes. Just because there are so many variations in uh, the environments that people live in. So, absolutely, yes, if you live in a city where there's several different uh, stores usually available that have a variety of different products. If you live out in the middle of, you know, Nebraska or something, you might not have access to a good commercially available product, in which case, the alternative would be something that is accessible like a kibble or a homemade diet which I wouldn't recommend going with the kibble so there are a lot of brands that are available many of them are really good some of them I think are mediocre but they're still better than doing a high heat processed product that's not really not uh, species appropriate so it to some degree it still does just depend on
0: where you're at and what you have access to that makes sense. And Chelsea, you are very, very knowledgeable when it comes to canine nutrition. Why did you get into this industry? How did that happen?
1: Uh, well, probably the, the more interesting thing is why I stayed into in it. Um, the reason that I got into it was actually I just kind of fell into it. And the timing of it was where I personally was having quite a few medical problems. and. Ultimately, I was going to a lot of different doctors and specialists, and I wasn't getting any answers that were actually helpful to me. So I started doing my own research, and at the time, I happened to work at a pet supply store, and I realized how much it all related, and I was learning more from that environment than I was capable of learning on my own because of the interaction with other people asking me questions that I wouldn't have thought to ask. So over time, I met more people and I learned more things about who to communicate with and interact with and just really recognize that there was so much value in those interactions and the relationships and the education that you could get out of it that I just turned it into a career.
0: (laughs) That's awesome and I know you're so passionate about it.
1: Yeah what I love about it is that there's like a hundred different rabbit holes that you can jump down at any time so I just kind of pop from rabbit hole to
0: rabbit hole. (laughs) Uh (laughs) That'll keep you busy.
1: Yeah there's just so many things to know and I don't think that there's ever a point at which Anybody is capable of knowing all that there is to know. And that's actually one of my favorite
0: things about it. And it's ever-changing. Yes. And Chelsea, since you are a regulatory specialist and you do go to the AFCO meetings, just like Susan Thixton, who's been on the show a couple of times, Mm -hmm. do you see anything on the horizon as far as better regulations in the pet food industry, either through AFCO or the FDA?
1: Uh, That's a pretty good question. Um, I think probably the most exciting thing that I see, honestly, is consumer awareness. I think that more and more people like you are helping to make sure that the mass public has a better understanding of what it really is that's being sold out there. And they're able to make more educated decisions. And just because of consumer demand, there's at least the conversation for change. And also the people that are trying to inflict change, I think, have more hope and therefore more passion, knowing that there's more accessibility to the public than what there has been before. My personal perception of it is that there's not really any interest at all from any regulator that I've met that has the authority to make changes to do so without public pressure in some form so in that way I would say no it's really devastating <laughs> but on the other side of it there the reason that there's a lot of like bumping of heads within regulation right now is because of that public pressure which is getting bigger and bigger and I think that that's a spectacular thing that's going to go a long way.
0: And what can the average consumer do to help increase that pressure?
1: Well, the number one thing is vote with your dollar. and The the best way to do that is to spend some time educating yourself. Uh, You know, more and more people are recognizing that they go to their doctor, they go to their veterinarian, and, you know, those are people that specialize in pharmaceuticals and diagnostics, which are really important that they have gaps in understanding about things like nutrition. Just like if you go to someone like me, where I know a lot about nutrition and products, I am not going to tell you everything that you need to know about diagnostics and pharmaceuticals. So um, taking the time to reach out to you know friends or the internet or anywhere that you can say, hey, who is it that you think is a good resource for knowing more? and just try to educate yourself more so that you can develop a greater understanding of how do you best vote with your dollar in the ways that are the most important to you.
0: And I know that you have an amazing website, the food regulation facts website. How did that Mm -hmm. get started?
1: Uh, Susan Fixton? actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So within the AFCO meetings, Uh, There's around 400 people that come to each meeting and of those 400 people, there's like five to maybe 15 that show up that have anything to do with a more holistic side or advocacy side. So there's some people that go to every other meeting, some people that go to every meeting, but it's a really tiny handful of individuals and there's more consumers that are starting to show up but in order to actually have influence within the regulatory uh, community you have to represent somebody so susan thixon represents consumers kathy alanovi represents manufacturers and there was nobody that represented retailers so they actually asked me if I would do that. So I started Food Regulation Facts Alliance, which has ended up kind of merging with Next Generation Pet Food Manufacturers Association, which is the manufacturer's uh, advocacy organization, just because we surprisingly found it was very difficult to keep them separate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. I would highly encourage all of our listeners to check out the Food Regulation fact.com website where you can get even more information because there's a lot out there and it looks like Chelsea's done the hard work and brought it all together in one spot.
1: Yeah, and my primary motivation is definitely education. So, you know, even if I, through advocacy and primarily supporting retailers and manufacturers, I very much want everybody to have the information that I have. So most of my posts on that website are really consumer based. And like, if you want to go down this rabbit hole, then here I typed something up for you. So you don't have to go through 80 resources. I compiled it into one.
0: Thank you. (laughs) That's huge. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, we're about to wrap up on this episode, but we really want to thank you for enlightening us with more information about food and the different choices that we have to feed our dogs. Where can everyone find out more information about you and Heroes Pets?
1: Yeah, Uh, heroespets.com is H-E-R-O-S-P-E-T-S com. There's some information about me on there, and then I also have a blog on there. And then, like you said, Food Regulation Facts is another place where I blog with a little bit more serious and a little bit more intense stuff on there. Okay. Those are definitely my primary resources.
0: Great. Well, Chelsea, we are definitely going to have you on again because I'm sure you have lots more to share. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's
0: been great. Thanks for listening to the Wag Out Loud podcast. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to subscribe for free and we'd love to hear your comments. You can find out more by visiting wagoutloud.com and there you'll find great product recommendations and fantastic resources. That's also where you can visit our Bark About It page where you can suggest topics, guests, or products. Please be advised that this show offers health nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You are encouraged to do your own research and should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your dog's health, you should always consult with a veterinarian or nutrition expert. I appreciate you. Catch you next time.